Good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? All right. Good to see you. How many of you guys are excited about the sunshine? Yeah. You could just, yes. And I'm proud of you. Like, this is like, the room is full today. That's awesome. And, and you guys are like abandoning the sun. And I only, we only get to see it like four times a year here. So pretty exciting. Uh, I actually, I like the Eugene weather because I'm kind of an Eeyore. Those that know me, you know, you know who Eeyore is from, from Winnie the Pooh. So I'm kind of like, gee, I guess it's raining again, you know, and I kind of get like happy about it. But anyways, that was weird. Um, let's start again. Hi, my name's Jake and I'm the lead pastor here at Joy Church along with my wife, Bethany, and uh, we and all the team, the dream team, all the fam here at Joy Church want to say welcome. And so if this is your first time visiting, thank you for being here. And, and I'm really excited that you're here. I believe that you're not here by accident but God brought you here to this moment because he wants to speak something to you today to encourage you, to help you take another step in your journey uh, of life, right? And so uh, we're in a new series here today called Follow, and we're talking about what it looks like to follow Jesus. Now, in any audience this size, there are two groups of people. There are those that are already following Jesus or that, that that are seeking to follow Jesus, and there are those that are not following Jesus And I believe that today we're going to all learn something together and we're all going to be encouraged. So I'm excited to jump in uh, in this series. Are you guys ready? How many of you enjoyed Bethany's message? Well, I almost fell over. I I wanted you guys to see my agility. There we go. Yeah. You didn't even notice. I shouldn't have said anything. Um, (laughs) You guys enjoyed Bethany last week talking about, yeah, sorry, you already clapped. So we'll, we'll just, this is getting weird. Anyways, we're moving on. Uh, she did an awesome job talking about leaving, just being a fan and becoming a follower, right? And if you've been around Joy Church at all for any length of time, you know that one of our, our heartbeats, one of our, our pushes and challenges that we're all about is getting people out of the stands onto the field, right? We, we don't want to be a church full of spectators. We want to be a church of participants. You know, I'm up here right now exercising my, my ability to talk, to, to share, to speak, But the reality is I'm not doing ministry and you're spectating. All of us together are the church. And really this is our sort of refuel, recharge, refresh moment to get encouraged, to learn, to grow, to connect. But then we go out in the week and that's where we are the church in the world. Come on. We go out this week and we serve people. We share the gospel. We win people to Christ. We love people. We, are you with me? Yes. Okay. So we're the church together. And, uh, and so today we're going to be talking about community, but before I do that, I want to uh, just talk a little bit about the definition of a disciple. And Bethany did this last week, so I'll just recap. If you haven't, if you weren't here last week, please go check that out at joyeugene.com. Check out that first message. It'll really shape for the rest of the series some of the things that we go through. But in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, it says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And he said to them, see what I did there? No, he didn't say that. And then they immediately left their nets and followed him. Now, how many of you have actually heard this passage before? And and the indication or kind of what it seems to imply is that these people have never seen Jesus before. He strolls up, he, he pushes back his surfer boy hair, you know, and he says, follow me. <laughs> no, okay. Is that how it went? No, okay. Everybody was like, what's happening today? (laughs) Jesus throws a surfer locks back and uh, he goes like this and he says, follow me. And they're like, wow, we're going to follow him. Actually, probably didn't look anything like that. The reality is Jesus has been operating in this area for probably quite some time. Thank you for laughing on the front row. I appreciate it. This is my friend here. Yes. Um, 
he's been operating in this area and, and Simon and, and Andrew have actually probably been exposed to the message of Jesus. They've probably heard about this new teacher, this new rabbi, whatever. There's a little bit of familiarity here. So there's probably some context that Jesus is saying, hey, you guys kind of have, have been able to you know, know what I'm about for a little while. And now I'm, I'm telling you to get out of the stands and into the game. And I'm gonna connect you to purpose. That's beyond what you're doing right now. And so this is a, a really famous passage of scripture that's Jesus calling his disciples. And I believe that inside of this passage, there is a, uh, a framework for what a disciple is or a follower of Jesus. We talked about a disciple last week. It's kind of a fancy religious word. It means a follower of a student of, somebody who's walking in the footsteps of another person. And that's what we're talking about in this series, what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a disciple. So we have a definition for what a disciple is that we find here in this passage. And there's four C's uh, to kind of make it easy to remember. The four C's of what a disciple is, is someone who's following Christ in the context of community, who's being changed by Christ and is responding to the call of Christ. And so what we see here is Jesus says, come follow me. To be a follower of Jesus, there needs to be an actual, personal, tangible following of Jesus. You know, you can't just say, oh, I'm, I'm following Jesus or, oh, I'm a Christian. And then absolutely nothing tangibly changes about your life. It's not just about giving lip service to it, not just saying words, not just exchanging one set of abstract intellectual ideas for another. There actually needs to be a, an actual physical most of the time, but, but physical, spiritual, in all ways, following of Jesus at a personal level. There needs to be a commitment, like you were following something else, your own way. You're following, you know, your own path or whatever. And now you're saying, Jesus is defining a new path for me and I'm actually gonna step into it. Are you with me? The second thing is we see, he says to them. So it's community. People have this mistaken idea about Christianity that it's just about you and God. And we're gonna deal with this later uh, uh, we're going to talk about this at length, but, but Christianity actually is meant to happen in the context of community. Jesus says to them, and actually when you give your life to Jesus, when you become a Christian, you don't, you don't just get saved into a special, you know, God and you relationship. It actually is you're saved into the church. You're saved into community. And these are hard concepts for us to grasp in our hyper-individualistic Everybody has an Enneagram. Everybody has a personality type. Please understand me. If you don't speak to me in the language I hear, then I don't listen to you. You know, we're very individualistic, but actually Christianity is a community thing. It's a team sport. All right. And then he says, I'm going to make you. So this is the indication of change. How many of you know God loves you exactly how you are right now? But how many of you know there's change coming? Come on, and wives are looking at their husbands. You heard him right there, dear. You better believe it. Oh, we're working on you, right? Do you know the difference between men and savings bonds? No. Savings bonds eventually mature. Yeah. In case you were wondering, I am a dad and I do tell dad jokes and I'm unrepentant. Change. Jesus says, I'm going to make you. What's he indicating? That you are something now, but it's not what you're going to be. I'm going to change you. I love you the way you are, but there's change coming. To really truly love someone, you actually have to be invested in their process of development. I have three kids and my kids are amazing. I love them to bits, right? I love them like crazy. I love my kids, seven, five, and three, but I'm not, I don't want them to stay exactly the same. No, I do sometimes. I'm like, don't ever grow up. Just be cute, right? Just sit on my lap and make googly eyes at me, my, my you know, to Penny. She's my three-year-old. But then I'm like, no, nah, I want you to learn how to handle your own business in the bathroom, 
I want you to actually turn into a human being that is fairly decent in the way you communicate and where poop is not the funniest word you know. You know what I mean? I want some change to occur in her life. And so this is the same with God. He accepts you and loves you. Today, you might be walking in here. You might be the hottest mess there is. And God loves you so much. But he loves you so much that he also wants to change you. Because let me just tell you, this is a hot mess talking to you right now. And God is working on me. So being a disciple is also about a process of change. And then lastly, the fourth C, it's about the call. Jesus says, look, you guys are fishing. You're fishermen, but now you're going to fish for men. You're going to not just catch fish and worry about what is the natural world, your natural occupation, getting ahead, getting by, getting even. But I'm actually going to call you into higher purpose. You're going to make an impact for my kingdom. You're going to actually connect and catch people, connect with people and bring them into my kingdom. God has higher purpose for you. So these are the four things that these elements or ingredients need to be present in your life if you're truly following Jesus. You're following Christ in community. You're being changed by Christ and you're responding to the call of Christ. You can't just be a spectator. Gotta be a participant in the mission of Jesus. Now today, I wanna talk specifically about community. And how many of you like me would say, actually, I'm fine all by myself? Like most time situations, anybody wanna be honest? Like just Amy and I are the only honest two people in this whole church. Okay, okay, thank you. Um, <laughs> I'm actually introverted. I don't, I, I play an extrovert on Sunday mornings when I get up here and yell at you guys for 30 minutes, but the rest of the week pretty much keep to myself. And, uh, and so community is not something for me that's like really native and natural. Some people are like community. Oh, all the butterflies started to fly and the birds started to chirp when I heard that word. Other people are like, they hear dun, 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 you know, there's different, different personality types, but community is a really big deal when it comes to following Jesus. And community is not easy. Whether you love people, like people, or avoid people, community is not easy. You know, just going to like the, one of the smallest communities is family. How many of you know family is difficult? And, you know, as I told you, um, Bethany and I, we have three kids. They're amazing kids, best kids in the world. But every once in a while, they do something that makes me want to send them to boarding school. So <laughs> the other, just a little back, back story. Bethany, my wife, she cuts my hair. And so she's cut my hair since we got married. Before that, my dad cut my hair. And the first situation of how he got me to let him cut my hair is he paid me $5. So I literally am ahead in this whole haircut game since I was like 12, you know, way ahead. I'm excited. I've saved hundreds of dollars getting my hair cut at home. And uh, Bethany cuts my hair. So yesterday I said, babe, you know, I need a haircut. Uh, would, you, would you mind giving me a haircut today? Sure. So what we do is when it's nice and warm outside, we'll go out on the back porch and do the haircut in the back. So I, I took my shirt off and don't, don't stumble. All right. You know, I took my shirt off and I put on the really cool, <laughs> Maddie, what's so funny? <laughs> Sasquatch is real. Okay. So <laughs> I put on the really cool apron, you know, kind of looks like Darth Vader's assistant or whatever with that thing on. And, uh, and so, I, but I take my shirt off and I go outside and my daughter Penny yells at the top of her little lungs, which are loud, dad, why are you naked? So there I am. I had pants on. I just didn't have a shirt on. I was not naked, but now I'm more I like mortified, right? Because I'm thinking all of our neighbors all around have just heard my daughter scream at the top of her lungs, dad, why are you naked? And how many of you know, in this moment, I'm not committed to community. <laughs> I want to escape. It's, it's tough with kids too. And I'll just spend just one more second on this. You know when your kids are like babies and they hurt you and you can't do anything about it? 
Any parents here, children can get their fingers into places in your eye and ear and nose that I didn't know existed and cause pain. You know, my kids would be like, oh, you're so cute, googly, googly, and they get their, and they get their claw and then, oh! It's these moments where you, you, you think about sending your children to boarding school. We're going to send you to Switzerland. It's not going to be great. Somebody named Helga is going to be watching you. So my daughter yells, Dad, why are you naked? So I'm mortified in this moment. I'm embarrassed. I'm not committed to community. And, and this makes me think about what G.K. Chesterton said. He said, the Bible tells us to love our neighbors, also to love our enemies, probably because generally they are the same people. <laughs> I have to agree with that, that oftentimes those that are closest to you in community are the ones that actually get under your skin, that actually hurt you. And enemy doesn't always just mean the person with a bayonet coming at you. It could mean the person who's annoying you or irritating you, or rubbing you the wrong way in a particular moment. C.S. Lewis said, there are two things you can't do alone. You cannot be married alone. You can't be a Christian alone. And this is a very profound statement because when you think about the Christian life, many people, especially in the Western world, have a profound misunderstanding about what it means to be a Christian. We associate it purely with this act of repentance, of saying, okay, Jesus, I invite you to come into my heart. I want you to save me. And we've made it this very individualized, personalized thing, which it is, but we're missing the, the other side of the coin, which is that Christianity takes place in the context of community. That which God does in you through the, the reception of the gospel and his sal salvation work inside of us actually is only able to be expressed in the context of community, which is why C.S. Lewis says you can't be a Christian alone. Because yes, you can have a relationship with God, but it's like water flowing into a pond. If it just stays stagnant there, it actually gets really rotten. And we're gonna talk about this it starts to get very corrupt to just have a, a relationship where it's just God doing things for me. It becomes very self-centered and selfish, and it actually ends up rotting you out from the core. So the real Christian faith is meant to be lived out and expressed in community. And that's why Jesus says, so now I am giving you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Jesus says the defining mark of a disciple that which would identify us as the community of Christ, as the church, as the called out ones, is this love for one another, that it's meant to be expressed in community. If people are going to say, what defines a Christian? It shouldn't be that, you know, well, we listen to different types of music than you people. Well, we don't do this or that. No, th that, th there might be differences in moral behavior, but the defining mark, the defining mark is our love for one another. Is it present? Is it real? Is it tangible? Is it seen? Is it visible? This is what Jesus said. This is how the world will know you're my disciples. So what I want to do today is I want to help us connect with this idea of community. I want to tell you a couple of lies today. Is that okay? I just want to lie to you a little bit. No, I'm not going to lie to you. We're going to look at some lies that we believe about community because I think there are, are certain things that we maybe think about subconsciously that hold us back from really embracing the beauty of what Christian community is meant to be in the context of following Jesus. So lies we believe about community. Number one, all I need is God. I have a movie clip to play for you. We're going to watch that real quick. All right. This is all I need. How many of you have seen that before? Amazing. That's like very fond memories. Although I was looking at this movie on YouTube and I saw it was rated R. I'm like, it was? How was I even allowed to watch that as a kid, right? I'm like, mom and dad, what, were, what was I watching? Um, I love it. This is all I need. How many of you know, when we think this is all I need, it usually isn't all we need. 
And, and that's like perfectly describes this idea that all I need is God. Let me just tell you, a lot of people, a lot of Christians get locked into this mindset that all you need is a relationship with God and basically doesn't matter what anybody else does or what anybody else says, or what anybody else thinks about me, all I need is God. And we actually sing songs about it. So if you're oversaved like me, you remember way back in the day, Hillsong had a song that said, all I need is you, Lord. Anybody remember this? Where are my oversaved subculture Christians at? All right. All I need is you, Lord, you, Lord. All I need is you. And it's like a beautiful song. I love that song, right? And the sentiment is great. Like, I don't need other things. Like, God, you satisfy me. But the reality is, it's not true. There, you actually need something more than God. And you might be going like, okay, what do you mean? Well, the reality is God himself told us in the scripture that you needed more. You see, when he, he created Adam and Adam walked and talked with God in the garden, there was this perfect relationship between Adam and God. And God looked down and said, you know what? It's not good for man to be alone. And so he, he created Eve in that moment. And that wasn't something that happened like by accident. God was very, very clearly showing us that this creation order, this, this way he was intending life to be lived wasn't just supposed to be you and God, but it was meant to connect with other people as well. Are you with me? God designed us to need him, yes, but also to need each other. You see, what happens is when we think, oh, all I need is God, I don't need any other people, is it turns us into selfish, overly spiritual, religious cesspools. Are you with me? What happens is we take this beauty, this beautiful thing that comes from God, his grace, his mercy, his love. And, if, and the way that, our, that, that, that we are, if we don't express it out, it just sits in us and we get very selfish and very, uh, it just sits there. It's not this fresh flowing thing. You need other people, okay? So this is the first slide. I'm gonna build on these. God is not all you need. You need God, but to really truly be a Christian, you actually need other people. So this is the second lie. I don't need you. I don't need you. So maybe we accept generally, okay, yeah, I guess I need other people, but not that person that rubs me the wrong way. Not this person that irritates me. They don't have anything to add to my life. This person over here, they voted for this person. They voted for that one. I, you know, they don't understand me. They don't know my Enneagram number. They don't understand my Myers-Briggs personality type. So I have, they have nothing to give to me. I don't need you. Come on, let's be honest. Isn't this something we think? Maybe you don't say it out loud, but you do think it. I don't need you. All I need is God. I don't need you. But you know what? You need the people that bug you, that irritate you, that rub you the wrong way, because those types of people are the only ones that allow you to learn how to love like Jesus. You see, Jesus tells us, hey, don't just love your friends. Anybody can love their friends. When people disagree, when people agree with me, I'm like, that's awesome. You're brilliant. Hey, Jake, you're, you're right. You know, we agree with you, man. You, that's, that, you're smart. I knew you were smart. I knew I liked you. Somebody comes along, oh, I disagree with you. What? What the heck's wrong with you, right? The people that bug us, that irritate us, that rub us the wrong way, that do things that we don't like, those are the ones where we can actually decide to love like Jesus. Because it's in those moments where love is not the natural response, it's the supernatural response. And I want you to think about this. When you get pushed you know, in, out of your comfort zone, when somebody is inconveniencing you, when they're irritating you, when they're critical of you and they're not right. And all of a sudden the natural thing in that when somebody's mean or rude or critical or whatever is to be like, ah, well, if you're that way to me, then I'm gonna be this way to you. It's eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Come on, this is how the world works. 
You swing at me, I'm gonna swing back at you. But this is where Jesus comes in and says, listen, that's not the way I've created you to live. You don't just need yourself. You don't just need, uh, not just to be all by yourself in your own perfect little echo chamber where nobody disagrees with you because you're an expert on your own opinion. There are other people and in those moments when, they're at, when you're at odds with them is where you can actually learn to love like Jesus. So here's what community does. It does three things. Number one, it challenges us. There's no growth without challenge. Without challenge. Challenge is when you get into the gym and you actually put some weight on the bar. Have you ever watched those videos where people go in and they're doing exercises in the gym like super wrong, which would be me if I went to the gym. I don't because I don't want to embarrass myself. But you see like people are like doing the thing where they're like, the guy's like jumping and on the, the pull bars. I don't know. It's amazing. If you haven't checked it out. I just really quick aside, our church needs to watch more YouTube because I use these references and like two people understand it. So, I mean, if you want to grow in Jesus, sure, listen to some sermons, but honestly, watch more YouTube. Okay. So you can watch these videos of people exercising super wrong. Like the guy who's doing like his leg move or whatever on the machine. Incredible. But the reality is when something is not hard, when there's no challenge, there's no growth. Without the resistance, without that pain of lifting that heavy weight and breaking your muscles down, there's no growth. And what's so sad is we now live in a culture in which we all live in this little echo chamber, this little cylinder of our own opinion. And the minute somebody comes around and has a slightly different perspective about reality or about the way things should be, we scream at them and label them as a, an ist or an ism. Oh, that's racism. That's this ism. That's sexism. That's this. You're a Republican. You're a Democrat. We have labels for everybody. And all the labels do is basically allow us to walk around completely unchallenged. Are you with me? What happens in a society in which no person can ever tell another person that they're, they're wrong or that there's a different thing? It's, it's going to disintegrate, which is what we're seeing happens. It becomes very lonely. It becomes very sad. Community is a place where, yes, you're going to be challenged. Listen, if you're thinking about connecting here at Joy Church, I'm not going to tell you this is the perfect church because that would be a lie. Have you met anyone here? <laughs> have you met me? Right? We all have issues and problems. We all see things differently. If you're thinking you're going to come in here and this is like some utopian society, and if you go to Joy Group, it's all laughing and <laughs> everybody loves each other. Yeah, there's real love, but it's kind of a little bit more messy than that because it's real. It's authentic. Come on, somebody. Amen. Real community, there's actually challenge. Somebody's going to be like, hey, that thing you're doing, that's not good. You're like, what? How dare you? No, that's, there's beauty. There's, there's growth that happens in challenge. Number two, community changes us. Says in Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. There's a transformative power about getting around people that are challenging you. It actually leads to some change. How many of you know that you weren't, you didn't, weren't born into this world as the, the perfect specimen of humanity? Just a thought, you may have some rough edges. I'm not saying you do, just think about it. I may have some rough edges. There might be some things that getting around other people, I go, wow, why do I keep feeling poked right here? Why am I poking other people? Oh, maybe it's because I have some rough edges. Maybe there's some change that needs to happen. And when I get around other people in community where I'm actually committed to that community, there's actually possibility for change and it's really healthy. It's really awesome. Number three, it completes us. It completes us. We complement and complete each other. My wife and I, we are polar opposites. She's like, loves people. I'm the opposite of that. <laughs> Whatever that means. <laughs> Fill in the blank for yourself. 
You know, she's, she's like positive. I'm the opposite of that. It's glass half full. I'm like, there's a glass here where I don't even see it. Oh, I guess there's a little bit of water in it. Whatever. You know, we're, we're very different. She's, she's like, Hey, if I, if I told her, babe, I got plane tickets. You know, I threw a t-shirt uh, in a bag and we're going on a 10 day vacation. She'd be like, awesome. We'll figure it out when we get there. How many people are like that? For me, I need like two years to plan a three day vacation. Seriously, like, you know, yeah, I'm like, wait a second, you, you want to go on vacation? We need at least five years to get ready for that. Like, don't, don't spring it on me. Come on, can't take a vacation in three years. Where are we? This is crazy. So we're polar opposites, but you know, the beauty in this is as we've learned to work together, she compliments and completes me and I compliment and complete her. And unfortunately, Bethany's got a lot more uptight over the years as, as I've helped complete her and I'm way more loosey-goosey now, so it's great, but... It's way more fun for me, the change, than, than for her, but uh, I'm just teasing. But we complement and complete each other. When you get into community and you're recognizing, I don't have all the answers. I'm not the complete picture of what it means to be uh, a human being made in the image of God, that actually other people matter and they have something to, to offer and we work together. It's a really beautiful thing. So this is a lie. I don't need you. Yes, you need other people. You need other people. It's how you're designed to work. God's vehicle for, for transforming you, changing you, challenging you, completing you happens with other people. It's not just your relationship with him. That's important, but so is community. It's not just, oh, I don't need you. And then the third lie is this, you don't need me. You don't need me. Okay, I accept that I don't just need God. I actually need other people, but other people don't need me. I don't have anything to offer. I'm too this or that. I'm not educated enough. I, I, don't, have the, I don't have enough Bible knowledge. I, 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 I'm, I, I've messed up too many things in my life. I've been a bad parent, so therefore I could never help someone else be a parent. I've been, I've been an addict, so I can never help someone else. You don't need me. Whatever that thing that's keeping you out. But I just want to tell you, this is another lie that you don't need me. We need you. Just the same way you need me, I need you. Together, we are the body of Christ. And I want to ask you this question. If you're letting insecurity and fear keep you out of community because you think other people don't need you, why are you depriving us? Why are you depriving the world of the treasure that God has placed inside of you? Why are you allowing insecurity and fear to, to suppress the treasure that God has given to you? Listen, you were made on purpose and for a purpose. You got to believe that God did not make an accident when he created you. You are not just time plus slime plus chance. You are the handiwork, the masterpiece of a loving God. You were brought into this world at this time for such a time as this because you have something to offer. And maybe you don't know what it is yet, but why don't you go on a mad dash rush to next track to begin to find out, to start that journey and say, man, what are my spiritual gifts? What could God be doing with me? You might feel like me, like the kind of person who's like a little critical and analytical and kind of negative and like nobody, you know, whatever, a little bit insecure. Like there's nothing I could, could offer. No, God wants to use you. You fit somewhere. Come on. You are a tool in the tool chest. <laughs> And you have a purpose. You ever pull those tools out and you're like, what does this one do? Some of us are like that, huh? You're a doohickey. You're a wingding. You're a, you know what I mean? Whatever you are, but there is a purpose for you and you just got to figure out what that is. But listen, when you say, oh, no, no, no. I don't know. I don't know where I fit in. Like nobody wants to hear what I have to say. You're robbing the world of the treasure of you. You're keeping yourself out of the game. You know, I want you to think about it. If you had a, 
a basketball player, like the NBA finals are going on right now. And I, I don't care about them because my team's not there. So I've just, uh, I don't care now. You know, once the Blazers are out, I'm like, I don't care at all crying about my team. But <laughs> right now the NBA finals are going on. I want you to imagine if one of the star players or, or any of the players just told the coach, ah, they don't need me today. When he says, come on, you're in number 34, whatever you're in the game. And you're like, ah, I'm not necessary. You don't need me. Everybody would be like, what are you doing? You're hurting the team. And yet in the team of the church, in our community, so many times, and I guarantee you right here in this room today, many of you, God's calling your number. Come on, it's time. It's time to activate. Come on, it's time. It's time to get in the game. Come on, it's time to step out and start going to joy group. Come on, it's time to go to next track. Come on, it's time to get involved. Come on, it's time to serve in kids. Come on, it's time to begin to talk to your friends and neighbors about Christ. Come on, it's time. Number 34, get in the game, get in the game. And you're going, nah, nah, nah. I'm not qualified enough. I'm not, if God is calling you, you're qualified. Come on, get in the game. This is a lie. You don't need me. I don't have anything to offer. When we break down these lies, it allows us to embrace community and say, you know what? I'm not everything. I'm not perfect, but, but I am a part of this team. And when God is calling me, other people need me. Even in your brokenness, people need you. Come on. Just because you're not perfect doesn't mean you can't actually contribute. Because I guarantee you, there are no perfect people. Every single week I go home you know, every Sunday afternoon and I go, geez, I wish I wouldn't have said that. Oh, I wish I wouldn't have said it like that. People literally write me emails and say, I, I'm leaving the church because of what you said. No joke. And if you do want to write me an email like that, don't do it today because now everybody will know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I go home and sometimes I'm like, oh, why did I say it like that? I wish I didn't say things that way. And I feel really insecure. But you know what? I feel that that heavenly my heavenly father, you know what he does? He slaps me on the butt and says, get back in the game, son. How many of you know God moves in mysterious ways? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on, he's, slap, he's slapping you. Get back in the game. Come on, don't, don't let your insecurity hold you back. Yeah, you're going to screw it up from time to time. You know, Bethany and I, we shared at the, at the Dream Team conference. Well, she shared. I didn't actually approve her to share this, but she did. How we totally screwed up and dropped our joy group one time and m messed it up and and all these people were like trying to find a community to belong to. And we just abandoned it. It was like a bad situation. And we are the pastors of the church. You know what? If you're thinking, if, you're, if your faith is in me not dropping the ball, you have misplaced your faith because I will disappoint you. Just be prepared, right? You're like, you're doing it now. Well, that's great. And you're disappointing me. So anyways, we're just all having a fun party. But you guys, we got to say, come on. God can use me even in my imperfection. God can use me even in my insecurity because I'm a work in progress. Are you with me? Get in the game. All right, I want to give you a couple takeaways so you can put this into action this week. Number one, we need to begin to measure maturity by application, not information. Do you know that spiritual maturity is gained through ministry, which means service. We believe that depth is in the doing. We grow the most when we are serving, loving, and giving in the context of relationship. People go, oh, well, I don't know that much about the Bible, so that means I'm not a mature Christian. No, you might be a more mature Christian than the person who knows all the Bible verses who never puts them into action. I would take somebody who knows three verses but lives those verses out versus the person who knows all the verses and puts none of them into play. Because real maturity is when we actually begin to take what God is doing in us and we allow it to go through us into the context of community. Uh, in the book of James chapter one, it says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise you are only fooling yourselves. In other words, not just how much you know, it's what you put into play.
Pastor Andy Stanley says this, knowledge alone makes Christians haughty, application makes us holy. If you're here and you're thinking, well, I don't know enough, I don't have enough information to put this into play, to, to really get into community, I want to just challenge you that I think if you've heard six, you know, four to six sermons here at Joy Church, you have enough information to make you very dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. You have enough information to be, to take your steps that you need to take as a follower of Jesus. I, I would I would put this forward to you today that our problem is not a lack of information, it's a lack of application. So we need to begin to measure our maturity by the application, not just the information. What am I doing in community? How am I serving? What am I putting into motion? Number two, we need to harness the power of us. I love when Jesus calls his disciples, he says he called to them. It's not, hey, Peter, and then, hey, Andrew, and hey, Matthew, there, isn't, there is an individual call but the call is to bring them together into a team. God's putting together the Avengers. Come on, he's bringing a team together of a bunch of different gifts and callings. I got one woo on that. I need more woo today, come on. Woo, yeah, there we go, right? So it was Avengers, you know? Yeah. Woo, okay, awesome. God is bringing together a team of superheroes. He's bringing together a group of people that are gifted and called, okay, you're overdoing it now, okay? I just, now I just feel buttered up, right? You're, you're, he's bringing us together because together we can do great things. He's calling fishermen to fish for men. We have a higher purpose and there's a power when we come together and we is greater than me. Listen, the beautiful thing is all of us have fears and insecurities and failures and problems and habits and hangups and all that kind of stuff. But guess what? When we, when, when we are seen in the tapestry, the mosaic of the church, those things become very, very insignificant. And together, the picture that we present is something very beautiful and whole. See, many of us are thinking we're waiting for our own individual healing, whether it's physically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever. And we're waiting, we're keeping ourselves out until we feel ready. And the reality is when you come together in community, all of your failures get deferred in, across the weight, whole, the weight of that group. Does that make sense? And that picture becomes a lot different than just looking at you as the focal point. You fade into the background of everything God is doing. Harness the power of us. And then number three, I want to challenge you to make a commitment to community. It's like if only we had these groups of people that met around the city every week to help us do these things. Hmm, we should start a ministry like that. We could call it life groups, connect groups, joy groups. Oh, wait, we do have that. There's like 30 of them, right? How many do we have, Thomas? 25. I was only off by five. That's faith right there because five people today are going to start a joy group, right? We've got 25 groups of people that are already locking in, committing to community, saying, listen, you're not perfect. I'm not perfect, but I know that I don't just need God and I. I don't just need myself. I need you and you need me. And so we're locking arms and we're going we're gonna to live together and serve Jesus together in the context of community. Come on. I want to ask you to make a commitment to community. Join a joy group. That's a great first step. It's fascinating to me that so many people are like, well, you know, no, I want to do great things for God. So I'm not going to spend my time doing that small thing about a joy group. Mm, you're really missing something. There's something really powerful and beautiful about a commitment just to show up and just be present. Do you know every single group doesn't have to blow your mind, doesn't have to change your world, doesn't have to be the biggest thing since sliced bread. Like it's okay to just have your family and community get together, challenge, change, complete each other, serve together, grow together and be the living testament of Jesus. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter three, the only letter of recommendation we need is you yourselves. Your lives are a letter 
written in our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. Jesus is painting a picture. He's painting a picture that he wants the world to see. And it includes every one of us in that image, in that picture. We are the letter that is our lives and it's our community together that is the best and most beautiful picture of Christ that the world will ever receive. And so what it takes is a bunch of imperfect, not ready, unqualified people to show up and grab each other's arms and hands and say, come on, you voted for somebody different than me. You think this is different about this. You know, we disagree. You're this, you're an Enneagram this, and I'm this and all that. And we have all these differences, but we're learning to love each other like Jesus loved us. And we show the world what God's love really looks like. Amen. 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 This morning, there are people here that you do not follow Jesus. And I kind of talked about you in the beginning, said, you know, maybe you're here and you haven't made that decision, but this is your moment because again, I believe God didn't bring you here by accident. This right now is your moment to, to begin to follow Jesus, to, to join community, to be a part of the family, to like get connected to what God's doing. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're here today and you're like, Pastor Jake, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be part of his community. I want to be part of the church. I want to be part of the family of God. Would you just raise your hand and put your faith in Jesus? Thank you. Come on, if you're here today, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus. I want to stop trusting in myself. Awesome, there's hands all over. I want to put my trust in Jesus, not in my own goodness, not my own works, not my own abilities. I want to trust him. Thank you, thank you. Let's pray this together. Let's all pray. Dear Father, confess my sin to you. I know that I've fallen short of your standard, but I thank you for your great love and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be reconciled with you. I put my faith and trust in you and you alone in Jesus' name. Amen.